Mindfulness Mode 183. Everything better and everything worse is all imaginary. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. I've already received praise for our last episode, number 182, with Slada Suchak. She shares an amazing story of her struggles when she emigrated from Russia, and she now helps women reclaim their lives. If you haven't tuned into this episode yet, check it out. Today, I'm talking with a man who has wisdom and insight into creating the life you love. Sit back, settle in, and enjoy my talk with Dr. Paul Jenkins. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited because I've got Dr. Paul Jenkins here with us today. Hey, Dr. Paul, are you in mindfulness mode? I am certainly in mindfulness mode, Bruce. (laughs) That's good. place to be. It is the place to be. Your specialty is positivity. Dr. Paul Jenkins is a psychologist who provides you with an owner's manual for your brain. His wisdom and insight will help you understand your mind so you can let it work more effectively on your behalf. Through his writing and speaking, Dr. Paul loves to help his followers get an iron grip on powerful pathological positivity principles that make an immediate difference in their lives. Constantly using his creative juices to help others, Dr. Paul also has a podcast called Live on Purpose Radio, where he calls himself the shrink who expands your life. (laughs) I really like that, Dr. Paul. The shrink who expands your life. (laughs) You obviously have a sense of humor as well. (laughs) Well, I was dubbed that by a co-host when I was doing live radio here in Salt Lake City. And it sort of stuck. I liked it. So I like it too. (laughs) So, Dr. Paul, what does mindfulness mean to you? Let's start there. First of all, Bruce, thank you so much. I'm honored to be on your program today. And this concept of mindfulness calls me back to something that I do all the time as a psychologist. I think one of my jobs is to illuminate the obvious. Now, this is cool when you think about it. I get paid to tell people things they already know or to show them things that they already see. But there's a lot of obvious processes going on in our mind that are unnoticed. Hmm. Obvious but unnoticed. Like the feeling of your shoes or your shirt. Can you feel them now? I can, yes. And it's obvious, right? Yes, it is. But unnoticed right up until the time that it's called to your attention. Yes. Or the fact that we're speaking English. I wonder if anyone noticed. It's obvious. Unnoticed until it's called to your attention. So this is something that mindfulness does for us. And there's a term that I share with my clients called metacognition. Mm-hmm. And this is very similar to mindfulness. If, if you break down that term, cognition means thinking. Well, metacognition is a higher level. It's thinking about thinking. And when you notice that you can do this, it opens up a whole new realm of possibilities that I think are very closely related to mindfulness because now we are paying attention to or noticing 
obvious processes that are going on within our own mind. So that's the connection for me, Bruce. That's kind of where I go with that concept. Well, I love your description, Dr. Paul, of how you help to create an owner's manual for our mm-hmm. mind. And our minds are all wired differently. Can you mm-hmm. expand on that? Differently, and there are some similarities. Right. It, I, I kind of like to think of us as all being special, but none of us is a special case. <laughs> In other words, there are specific principles that apply to all of us. And then, of course, we all have individual differences and preferences and inclinations in the the way we're wired. Right. So becoming aware of that is such a powerful, powerful process. Uh, For example, when you notice that what it is, now you've heard the phrase, it is what it is. Yes. That can be so annoying, depending (laughs) on who's saying it, right? Yes. But all it means for purposes of our conversation here today is the way things are. Mm -hmm. It's where you are. It's what you have. It's where you've been. It's the way things are right now without changing anything. It is what it is. Now, here's an obvious but unnoticed truth. What it is is always between better and worse (laughs) by our own judgment. Yes. Right? Now, different people consider different things to be good or different things to be bad. They have their preferences. But by our own judgment, everything that's going on right now could be worse or could be better. So one of the first processes that that I think we need to really get a handle on in terms of mindfulness and doing this metacognition, which I I uh, tied it to the the first process is called evaluation. So I would just love for everyone to notice for a minute that you're constantly evaluating, you're judging yourself, your circumstances, your relationships, everything that's going on in your life, judging it, evaluating it. Now this isn't right or wrong. It's just what we do. Welcome to earth. It's kind of how we roll here. Sort of the human condition, isn't it, (laughs) Dr. Paul? Yes, and we can't turn it off any more than you can turn off gravity. You never get up in the morning and think, oh, I wonder if gravity's on today. (laughs) It tends to be, right? (laughs) So we connect with, with our world first in terms of evaluation. And just notice that you're doing it. I don't think we can turn this off. Now, the word evaluation itself implies comparison with some standard. When you measure something, for example, you're comparing it to the measuring stick, Mm -hmm. a standard. So when we take what it is, whatever's going on in our life, so, so listeners, if you will connect with for a moment some aspect of your life, maybe it's your relationship, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your health, and notice that you are judging it. You're declaring it to be something. Now, if you declare it to be good, probably you're comparing it to something worse. Does that make sense? That really does. I think you probably would be comparing it to something worse. Well, that's how you can tell that it's good. Of course, yeah. Or if you're saying that it's bad, you're probably comparing it to something better. Right. 
And we have this amazing imagination that allows us to always imagine something better. I had a, a fellow on my couch just last week. Yes, I have a couch, Bruce. <laughs> Drink with a couch. And one of my clients was having some real struggles, some mm-hmm. challenges with his job and some coworkers and some of the circumstances there in his work. And as he was going on about this, I wanted to bring him to a higher state of mindfulness. And so my challenge to him was, what? You have a job? And he rolled his eyes a little bit. You know, he's like, yes. Paul, come on. Right. But he noticed something immediately. Yes, he does have a job. Now, compared to not having a job, how does that feel? See, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. And yet he was comparing the challenges that he was having at work to not having those challenges at work, which would be better. And then he felt worse about what he had. Right. And you know what? What it is, is the only real thing. Everything else is imaginary. Everything better, everything worse is imaginary. And that implies choice. This is the power of being mindful, of looking at our own thought processes and being aware of that so that we can see, oh, what I've got is really just what it is. And then my judgment of it depends on what I compare it to, something better, something worse. Well, that makes perfect sense. And so really thinking about it that way, I can always feel better because I can always compare myself to something different, something Mm -hmm. something that'll make me feel really good. Exactly. Yeah. We I've done some work with um, someone named Elizabeth Smart. Oh, yes. And that name is still known to people. As you recall, this was years ago when she was mm-hmm. 14 years old. She was abducted from her home here in Salt Lake City. That's where I'm, I'm located. Yes. She was marched up a hill behind her home in Salt Lake and chained to a tree. And then for nine months was abused and raped and starved. And it, it was just the most heinous experience you can imagine. Or is it? See, she noticed a a few days in, Elizabeth shared this with me as we did a project together last summer. She said that a few, a few days in, she had a realization. Uh, Of course, of course, compared to being home safe with her family who loves her, Mm -hmm. this looked really bad. And she kept thinking, this is my worst nightmare. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening to me. And then it got worse. And then she would think that again. Oh, my gosh, this is the most horrible, heinous thing that could ever happen. And it's happening to me. I can't believe this. And then it got worse. And then the lights went on for Elizabeth. She realized, you know what? It could always be worse. Mm -hmm. And Bruce, as soon as she made that realization, she was in a more positive position compared to her imagination of something worse. And that caused her to feel gratitude. Gratitude now, not after I'm rescued. No, gratitude now. And that gratitude turned on the power for another process that I share with my clients, and that's called creation. Creation, not of what is, but of what is to be. And that doesn't exist yet. We haven't created it yet. (laughs) So the only place that what's going to be exists currently is in our imagination. 
and we can always imagine something better or something worse. But which one do you want to create? I want to create the better one. Good for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we all do. We all do. I've been challenged on that recently, Bruce. We've had, um, and, and I think everyone is probably painfully aware of this, but we've had an increase in the number of suicides. In fact, it has become the number one cause of death among young people, uh, passing up cancer and disease and automobile accidents. Um, what a tragedy. In fact, yes. uh, uh, just last week on my podcast, I had Dr. Greg, Greg Hudnall, who heads up the uh, Hope Squads, which are groups of young people who are intervening with this problem. It's an amazing project. But as we were talking about this, I've been challenged sometimes. Well, what about those who take their own life? You know, Bruce, at some level, now we don't have to agree with them on the reasoning. But at some level, I believe that everyone who's in that situation thinks that this course of action will somehow make things better. See, I don't agree with the reasoning, but I get that they think that this will make it better. See, we all want something better. Right. And that's why we can imagine it. It's not to beat ourselves up because we're not there yet. See, that's the evaluation error. But when we get to the creation mode, we start to imagine something better because what do you want to go create? And everything that's created has to be imagined first. So realizing that, it, that's why I call this the owner's manual for your mind. You, you got to know how to operate this power equipment. And realizing that there are those two processes, evaluation of what it is and creation of what is to be. And then we use our imagination of something better or something worse to serve us well, depending on which mode we're in. And so how long, Dr. Paul, should we take in the evaluation stage? Uh, you know what? This is the place, Bruce, where I think we get to push the pause button. <laughs> because the only thing that's real is what it is. Think about it. Everything better and everything worse is all imaginary. Yes, it is. And so what it is is the only real thing that we have. That's why I think it's important for us to spend enough time in the evaluation mode and in a positive evaluation specifically that we get to enjoy what it is right now. Because right now is all we have. Life happens now. Not after you make the upgrade. I mean, it'll happen then too, but we get in this trap of, oh my gosh, I'll be happy when, or if, or upon completion of, or once I've finished, whatever. And that's a trap because we're always putting off that happiness until some future undefined time, as opposed to seeing what is as being good. We get into a mode of gratitude, and I think that's the key in evaluation, to feel grateful that we've got the job. Mm -hmm. You know, my kids are driving me nuts. What? You have children? <laughs> yeah. You know, look at all the people in this world who are, who are craving that, and you've got it? Wow. And if it's not that, then what is it? What do you have? 
what goes well for you now? What's working? You know, I've, I've got a friend who's quadriplegic and I have four limbs, all of which work. Wow. You know, really cool. So you get into that evaluation mode and then, Bruce, your question is so interesting. How long? Push the pause button and enjoy that because that is your life. Be present. Be mindful and grateful for what it is, the way it is right now without changing anything. That is powerful. But Dr. Paul, can't I create and evaluate at the same time and enjoy both processes? Oh, sure. As long as you realize which one you're doing and which end of your imagination you're using. See, we switch really quickly. And, right. and it's usually indicated by the word, but. See, listen to this sentence. Okay, I know that things are good for me, that I've got a family and a home, and I know where my next meal's coming from. Do you hear the next word? I do. Uh-huh. <laughs> so one of the strategies here is stay in front of your butt. That means everything that you're saying before the butt, stay there. Momentarily, at least, notice it, feel it. Push the pause button. Because when you say the word but, it's like you're saying, okay, forget about what I just told you. It is. Here's what I really mean. I love that, Dr. Paul. I went to a, a workshop one time, and it was, it was about mm. your big but. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, after that, every time I said the word but, or when other people did, I really noticed and I almost completely eliminated it from my vocabulary because I thought, you know what? I don't want to even go there. I don't even want to talk about but. I want to talk about what I have now or what I want to create. So I really love that. So a little brain hack that really helps. First of all, push the pause button, stay in front of your butt. And then second of all, how about we change that word out for another conjunction? In the English language, there's another conjunction that will serve you better, and that is and. So I'm very grateful for my family and my home and that I have my next meal coming, comma, pause, and I'm going to go create some amazing upgrades to this because I know that it could be better. And when is that going to stop being true? So instead of telling ourselves, I'll be happy when, we'll say, you know what? I'm happy now. My life rocks. And it does, folks. Compared to something worse, it really does. So that's evaluation, comma, pause, stay in front of your butt. And now I'm going to move forward and create something. And what do you want to create? Well, duh, something better, right? If I give you the choice between something better and something worse, which one are you going to pick? I'm going to pick the better one, but I, I love seeing you on the video where you said to a group, okay, take 15 minutes and go out. This is your assignment. Make your life worse. <laughs> that was so funny because none of us want to do that. None of us do. Right. And in terms of mindfulness, Bruce, this is so important to realize and connect with our power to make a mess. You got to know that you've got that power. Look how quickly your mind can come up with half a dozen ways to pull off that goofy assignment. <laughs> I, and unfortunately, I can make a mess without even trying. <laughs> oh, yeah. We do it on accident all the time. <laughs> yeah. But I have people coming into my office all the time, Bruce, and they're like, what, what are all these messes in my life? And I'm like, dude, you're a powerful creator. <laughs> you know, you can make a mess. And you know what? We can also make a masterpiece. 
and using that creative energy that we have in the right direction. It's, it's kind of like the two ends of the hammer, Bruce. If you, if you think of your imagination as having these two ends, you know, on a hammer, the head yes. of the hammer has a blunt face for yes. the purpose of driving nails. That's what it does. Uh-huh. And then on the back end of that is a claw. And the claw's purpose is to remove or pry out nails. You can't use the claw to pound a nail or the face to pull one out. It doesn't work that way. Right. And similarly with our imagination, we got these two ends. We can always imagine something better. We can always imagine something worse. Well, imagining something better is not for the purpose of evaluating what we have. We feel worse. Imagining something better should be used for the purpose of creating that. See how obvious that is? And the, the other end of that, imagining something worse, that's not so that we can get all tied in knots in anxiety and apprehension about what's coming. We don't know what's coming. All we have is our imagination of that. So we turn it to the other end and imagine something better for that purpose. We use our imagination of something worse instead to see that what we have is already good. That's evaluation. So it's just kind of like that claw hammer, two ends, use them properly. I, I, I think it was, um, I think Zadra, Z-A-D-R, um, who said that worry is the misuse of imagination. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, that's just off the top of my head. You guys can go Google it if you want. But that is so true. And I found that as a clinical psychologist through my career. Worry and depression, anxiety, they represent the misuse of this powerful imagination that we have. And we don't know what's coming. So let's choose to imagine that what we will create is even better than what we have, which is already awesome. This is the power of mindfulness. You've heard that happiness is a choice, right? Yes. Well, this is how and why. Well, I really love this. How can we use habit and routine to make sure we're staying in that place of creativity, using our creativity positively? And again, we're getting back to your favorite topic here of mindfulness. Yes. Notice that you already have habits. Notice that. Become aware of it. And then as you, as you review those habits, are they serving you well? When something painful or difficult happens, is it your habit to think, oh, this is bad? Or have you developed a habit that I call po pathological positivity where you look at that painful or not? And you say, wow, this is perfect for me. And there's always an argument for that. Pathological positivity, it's the title of one of my books. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've taken a little bit of flack for that, Bruce, because from a psychological perspective, what does pathological mean? Well, it means disconnected from reality, disordered, crazy. And it sounds a little crazy to people at first, especially if they're in a habit or, or a pattern, we call this neural pathways in psychology, where we actually develop um, nervous connections, ner nerve tissue, bundles of nerve tissue that create a pathway. It's almost like a freeway. And anything repeated gets turned into one of these neural pathways. Well, it's hard to change that. And this is why it's so important to practice and to establish habits 
And we're showing in the research now that, that this can actually be taught and trained and learned and developed. It's not something you have to be born with. So it's a, it's a pattern of, of practice that develops those new habits. And if it doesn't seem natural to you at first, well, that's okay. It probably means we're on the right track. Have you seen this video going around the internet, Bruce, about uh, the backwards bicycle? I don't believe I've seen that. There's a program called Smarter Every Day. And if you just go to YouTube and look up backwards bicycle, you'll find this, uh, where where this these engineers developed a bicycle where when you turn the handlebar to the right, the wheel goes to the left right. and, and vice versa. Now, this, you can understand this intellectually, but to yes. get on it, and, and having been programmed to ride a bicycle the way that you already know how, it's darn near impossible to ride that bicycle. In fact, the fellow who does the video practiced every day for eight months to master this new skill because of the neural pathways that are, that are so important to establish. There's complex algorithms and, and ways that our mind puts these things together. And so... I tell this to my clients all the time. Just be so patient and tolerant and forgiving of yourself because you are actually training yourself to ride a backwards bicycle, to do this in a way that you've never done before. So, um, so be patient with yourself. It does take some time. And those new habits, once they're established, can become just as strong and natural and automatic as what, whatever was there in the first place. I notice with my clients, Dr. Paul, the same thing. I think that for the most part as human beings, we don't, we're not kind enough to ourselves. We're not patient enough with ourselves. Do you find that as an overall theme? Oh, yes. In fact, you know what? I, I think this boils down to something that I call destructive pride and, and pride because in, in my book, I call this the special case syndrome, where somehow we know that we're a special case. And we'll go out there and be so kind and tolerant and forgiving with everyone except for one. Mm-hmm. You know, we pick one human being on this planet to mercilessly beat on and abuse. Well, why would we be a special case? Why would we treat ourselves any differently than we're willing to treat other people? It's, it's an interesting concept. As you become more mindful, you can see you're not a special case. <laughs> you are just as worthy of compassion and forgiveness as anyone else. So instead of discriminating and picking one human being to abuse, how about we just commit to being loving and tolerant and kind with everyone? And there's a big difference between everyone and others because it includes us. Yeah, there really is a big difference. And after having worked in the field of bullying prevention for over 10 years, I, I find that that is the biggest and most destructive form of bullying is when we bully ourselves. Oh, yeah. 
But, you know, mindfulness can really help whether it's you're bullying yourself or someone's bullying you or you're bullying someone else and you don't know why. Do you have a story about bullying that you can share with us, Dr. Paul, where mindfulness would have or could have made a difference? Oh, there are so many stories that come to mind. I've been in practice now for 22 years. And and I think that I'm seeing this as a general principle, Bruce. This is something that that affects our our feelings first and foremost, but then our behaviors toward other people. Uh, I just spoke last week at the at the Utah State Prison, mm-hmm. and I had a group of oh, there must have been forty or fifty inmates listening to this presentation on positivity, and and there was a fellow in the back who raised his hand, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been convicted of some fairly violent crimes. He has since learned a lot, and I think his mindfulness causes him to treat people very, very differently. And he acknowledged that his treatment of others was because of how he felt about himself. Mm. And his mindfulness now puts him in a place. This was beautiful, Bruce. He, he said, you know what? There's people in this facility who think that they're in a really terrible place. And then he paused for a moment and he says, you know what? I just came out of maximum security. Mm. This place is awesome. (laughs) And I saw that several of the inmates in the room were really, really moved by what he was talking about because here they were trapped in their own um, self-judgment and judging their circumstances. And then that was was affecting how they were treating their fellow inmates or the guards or anyone. See, we we can't just keep this locked in our own heart and mind. It bubbles out in ways that we interact with other people and how we show up in our business and everything. So I think regardless of our circumstances, getting ourselves into that positive mindfulness where, where we can be in the present, we can see that what is, is good and perfect for us, even if it's painful. And that, that requires some practice. But like this inmate had, had demonstrated, it makes all the difference too. And I think had he achieved some level of mindfulness prior to his incarceration and shown up differently toward others with it, without the bullying mindset, without the somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. Things could have turned out very differently for him. I'm sure you're right. And what a powerful story, Dr. Paul. My next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Oh. <sighs> You'd make me narrow it down to one. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I, I'm going to just pick one right off the top of my head. George Klassen, the author of The Richest Man in Babylon. I tell this whole story in the first chapter of my book where I was just at the lowest place. And, and I realized as I was reading his book, I realized who was in my way. And it wasn't everybody that I was blaming. Mm-hmm. It was me. And this bites a little yeah. when you realize that. But I'll, I'll just pick him off the top of my head, although there have been hundreds, if not thousands. So how has mindfulness affected your emotions? 
It makes all the difference. We can get trapped in depression and anxiety. And folks, I'm a, a, a trained professional psychologist and a participating member of planet Earth, of the mm. human race. And so I get to feel these things too, even as a trained professional. Um, the feelings that I have, and, and this is part of the, the powerful effect of mindfulness. These feelings that I have are perfect and, and completely consistent with the way my mind is doing those two processes we talked about today, evaluation and creation. And you're never wrong about how you feel. How you feel is 100% consistent with the way your mind does those processes. So being aware of that puts you in a whole different state of control and experience. So Dr. Paul, tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. <laughs> breathing, I recommend it every day, <laughs> in and out on a regular basis. Um, you know, breathing is something that I teach my clients as a way to calm the, the limbic system response. There's, there's structures in your brain, including the amygdala, that create a fight or flight response anytime we experience threat. The easiest way or the quickest way, one of the quickest ways that we have a lot of control over is to engage in conscious, deliberate breathing exercises, which actually has a calming effect on the limbic system of the brain, reverses some of the chemical processes that are going on that allow us to get back into mindfulness mode, cognition, metacognition. And, and those are different parts of your brain. But what we found is when the limbic system is triggered, it actually changes the blood flow in the brain and makes those um, higher cognitive areas of our brain less accessible to us. It's a brain hack, pure and simple, Bruce, uh, breathing, powerful. Right. You've mentioned The Richest Man in Babylon. Mm -hmm. And of course, you've mentioned your own book, which is awesome. Do you have any other books on mindfulness that you would recommend? On mindfulness specifically, I'm not sure. Um, there are so many books that I'm very, very fond of. If you go to my podcast, Live on Purpose Radio, I typically interview authors. And I've interviewed a lot of people who haven't written books too, but these I would recommend anybody that's been on my show as an author. Elizabeth Smart has an account of her experience called My Story, which has some great examples of the way mindfulness saved her life. Um, I really like Dan Clark's uh, book, The Art of Significance. Mm -hmm. I love Kevin Hall's book, Aspire. And then some of the classics like Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, a more modern one would be Immaculate Illabagiza in Left to Tell. Um, these are just a few off the top of my head, Bruce, and you could keep me going for an hour or more. On book. I can tell. I can tell. And when you were talking earlier, I was thinking of Man's Search for Meaning because it is such a powerful book. Thank you for sharing those titles with us. Can you share an app? which helps you be more mindful? Oh, yeah. My friend, Scott Wilhite, you know Scott. I do. Um, who's been on both of our shows, I think. Yes. Scott Wilhite developed an app called Feed Your Happy. 
And it's, it's a really great way to bring to your, to your mindfulness and your awareness the things that you can actually do to choose happiness. So as far as apps go, that one is the first one that comes to my mind. Great recommendation. What advice would you give a person who is maybe listening today and they're kind of new to this whole idea of mindfulness and they just want to get started, but they don't know where to start? What would you say to them? I'd say you've already started. You're listening <laughs> to this episode. Good on you. <laughs> subscribe to Bruce's podcast. It's all about this mindfulness. Read, associate with people. You know, I've had um, several of my colleagues and people I've interviewed who have called back to this to this same principle that you will be most like the people you hang out with. You look at the five people you hang out with the most. And what kind of a mode are they in? Are they in mindfulness? Are they in positivity? And if not, can you surround yourself with some people who are? So read, associate, listen, pay attention to the input that you're putting into your mind. And, and the daily news is not the best way to remain mindful. It sure isn't. It sure isn't. Dr. Paul, this has really been an eye-opener. It's been a great chance to talk with you. How can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you have to offer? I would first recommend, since you are already a podcast fan, go into your podcast app, search for Live On Purpose Radio, and subscribe to mine as well. I, and it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of myself for this. I have amazing guests. Like you, Bruce, I love to interview people who bring ideas and tools and books and, and just some amazing content. So subscribe to that. And then I'm happy to connect with you through my website, drpauljenkins.com, spelled with a D-R-P-A-U-L-J-E-N-K-I-N-S, dot com dr paul jenkins i'm happy to connect you we've got books and and the podcast and uh, speaking and training and and other things that we're offering there yeah so much to offer so yeah do that right away subscribe to the podcast live on purpose wow it has really been great to connect with you and i want to thank you so much for coming on the show today dr paul Oh, my honor and my pleasure, Bruce. Thank you for the good work you're doing to increase mindfulness in our world. You're welcome. Have a great rest of your day. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.